0: I'm going to open us with a prayer and uh, kind of get into uh, class um, kind of quickly. So let's let's go ahead and pray. Hi, Father, I just uh, want to come before you and I want to I want to ask God that um, um, uh, that you would open up your Word in new ways to us. Uh, get, that we would learn what it is to use language like walking in the Spirit and to hear your voice and. Um, that you'd unsettle us in places where we need to be unsettled, but you'd settle us in places where we need to be settled, and especially in places where other people might try to unsettle us, but your spirit doesn't want to. Um, I ask, God, that you give us peace and then restlessness at the same time, Um, a passion for your will and a passion for your kingdom. Uh, it's in the name of Christ to come before you. Amen. All right, so I, I was thinking about just kind of getting into this message and, and what I wanted to ask you guys. And, and I just want to start with this question. When people looked at the coming Christ, I mean, just as the way you study Scripture, what your perception is, when they were anticipating this Christ for hundreds of years, really thousands of years, um, generations, you know, think about that, generations would come and go waiting for this Christ. Uh, first Peter talks about it you know they were trying to determine the time and the circumstances in which he would come They, they weren't sure my question is this you know looking back on who Jesus was and how he came that's just what we know but what would your perception have been of why is there a Christ coming why is he coming and what will he accomplish maybe as a Jew what would what would you answer what would what would what would that be you know I was going to get some ideas there, what you think that would have looked like in their eyes. What was the Christ that you so anticipated supposed to accomplish? Vindication. Vindication. That's a powerful word. I like that. Vindication. There's a lot of depth to that word, especially from where they're coming from. What else? Okay, actually, I like that, you know, because this is our immediate circumstances. Look at where we're at. <laughs> Take out Rome for us. Um, okay, what else? What are they going to accomplish? Yeah, Salvation. salvation. Okay, I want to dig on that one. What, what is salvation? What does that mean and what does that look like? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that's what's so crazy is when you're reading the prophets, um, you're looking at Isaiah, you're looking at Ezekiel, and you're, you're looking at these prophets that would, would talk about this coming Messiah, but they are kind of vague in places. They talk about vindication, actually, they talk about salvation, they talk about these terms. But what is it going to look like, and what is he going to look like? And that's what all the debate was about, even back then. And obviously, that's why they missed him. You know, you're not expecting him to be born in humble circumstances, you know, in a cave somewhere, not accepted in a home, um, raised by a carpenter, followed by fishermen. This is just not the scene that anybody would have anticipated, Um, even with the prophecies that were played. Yeah, Chuck.
1: Prosperity. Okay. And national pride. Becoming a nation, a strong...
0: Absolutely. That's huge. That national... Um, impact of what it was supposed to be is huge. That you are going to vindicate, restore Israel. You know, you're going to give us our nation, our kingdom back. You know, this you're going to be the king that sits on David's throne. This is what they anticipated. You know, something like this. And so Christ, when he came, it just wasn't what a whole lot of people, and so much just doesn't go the way you might have anticipated if you're just reading the Old Testament. And what you know is the gospel of the Old Testament If it just is simply this, Moses standing on a mountain and saying, if you will not go with us, don't send us forth from this place. I need your presence. I desperately need you. This is the gospel of the Old Testament. And when God in Leviticus says, yes, I will go with you. This is I'm going to put my tent among your tents. I'm going to be your God. That was amazing. This is the gospel of the Old Testament, the presence of God with his people. And when the presence of God came with his people, he took a people that should not have been alive at all, brought them out of slavery, preserved them in the wilderness, brings them in to be his own sons, his own daughters, his own people, and somehow for thousands of years preserves them from the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Egyptian and the Assyrian and the Babylonian. He preserves them. And and, and his presence was everything in the Old Testament. And, and, and so that's why it's so interesting when Jesus comes, a lot of what his gospel is. And I'm just going to share some of his words to, to introduce the video. John 14:16 uh, says this. I will ask the Father. Oops. I'm just going to read it because I don't have the slide. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. It's a crazy verse, but I just want to focus on these words. He lives with you and will be in you. What do you get from that? Or what have you gotten from that when you've studied the Bible before and studied this verse? He is with you and he will be in you. What do you hear? And
1: the temple with the the majesty that's been restored that had been stripped for centuries. Yeah, And just the the excitement of having God in the midst of the people. And here, it's telling us it's
2: going to be in the midst of each
0: of you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're seeing a temple metaphor happening here. It's crazy because do you know what his last words that he spoke in the temple were just before this? you know his last words spoken in the temple were? It's in Matthew 23. He's in the temple, and he says, Behold, I leave your house desolate. And he walks out. God in the flesh was standing in his temple courts, and he said, Right now I'm leaving your house desolate, void of the Spirit. It's gone. The glory of this place, every stone that you see, all the gold, the beauty, I know it's beautiful, but the glory of this place is my Spirit. And I'm walking out of here right now. And it's in that context, saying, I leave your house desolate, that he walks in and he says things like this. The spirit lives with you and he will be in you. Now, that language in you, because the Holy Spirit, we act like it's something unique to the New Testament. Um, But part of the way we see the spirit today is God was one God in the Old Testament. and He was kind of mean. And then all of a sudden, the God in the New Testament, now there's three of them, and they're kind of nice. And that's that's the way people view Old and New Testament. I know that's bulky, and but that's kind of true. That's the way people look at it. And and the truth is, there is only one God. And when he set his spirit amongst the people, his spirit, his holy spirit, it's the same spirit. How about this? That you're reading about in Acts, when it fell on the people, that's the same spirit that fell on Samson. You read in the story of Samson, it says, And the Spirit of God came on him in power, and he ripped the Philistines, or he ripped a lion apart, or whatever he did. The Spirit that came in power, the Spirit that came and dwelt the temple. And, And before I get into Chan's video here, and I hope we make a strong tie into where we're going, that Spirit revealed himself. What was the image he used when he made his initial introduction, when he said, This is who I am. What image did God first use to show who he was? Do you remember? Moses. Fire. A fire burning a bush that's not burning. Um, This is the image that God says, I want you to look at this and think about who I am. The next time you see God, again, fire. And fire Mm -hmm. engulfs a mountain and God says, and it, it said it was like a consuming fire. And it's crazy because the initial introduction was that, man, it's a consuming fire, but it's not consuming. And the next time you see him, it's on the mountain, a consuming fire. And then throughout the Old Testament, that's how God is referred to, this consuming fire God. Now, that's crazy because that's going to take us into some text in the New Testament that I hope make more sense in light of what's being said there. Um, But this idea of God being in us. And why is that language different from what you see in the Old Testament where you see, man, I see God coming on Saul and the Spirit's there and he's speaking in tongues and he's doing all kinds of wonders. I see the Spirit coming on Samson. I see the Spirit. This is not unique to the New Testament. And then all of a sudden you see this language and you say, wait, something is unique. The Spirit is using temple language. And he says, I will be in you, whatever is happening there. And that's kind of where Chan is going to be coming from really considering that language and what that means. So let's go ahead and go to the video.
3: I don't know about you, but I know I've been guilty of looking at some of the verses in the New Testament, especially when it comes to how much power has been given to us I look at those passages as hyperbole. At least I have. You know, where I go, okay, he's exaggerating how much power is available to us. Immeasurable greatness of power toward us who believe. Is that really true? That he could do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine? according to the power that's at work within us? Like, he could do more than I can imagine right now through me. Like, do you believe that? As you're sitting in your group, do you think that about yourself? Like, man, today, look out. Because God could do anything through me right now. I have so much... Like, do you really think that way? I don't see people in church... I mean, I mean recently, I had just... Uh, I just watched that Avengers movie, Infinity War. Um, And, you know, with Thor and Hulk and Spider-Man and, you know, Black Panther. And really, I mean, that's the way we're supposed to feel. Like, as we gather, as the church is like, man, I'm not alone. I've got this amazing unbelievable, supernatural power that flows through me, and so does she, so does he, and when we come together, man, we all put those gifts in action. Like, that's supposed to be a picture of the church, but is it? I just feel like we come together in so much weakness and insecurity, and I get it. Life is tough, And we need to encourage each other. We need to build each other up. Let's talk through the difficult times we're uh, we're going through. But this New Testament is about power. And it is about our ability, supernatural ability, like manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, who is the highest power in existence, wants to manifest through us, And God wants to unleash that type of power onto the world. Have you given up on that dream? Like, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that about those who are around you? I think it's an area in which uh, we lack. And the Bible says to pray for faith. To pray for that faith. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, he says, look, I'm, I'm praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they would understand this. So something has to happen. We can have discussions all day long about these passages, and that's a good thing. I hope you discuss it. I hope it's in the forefront of your mind. But we've got to get serious about praying. You know, people have asked me so many times, how come we don't see the miracles? And honestly, that's, of all the things in Scripture that are most confusing to me, I would say that's, that's probably number one to me. How come I'm not seeing that kind of power? But I would also have to be honest and say that I don't see that kind of faith in the church today and I think it's time that we get on our faces and pray for each other for greater and greater faith so we don't look at the people in scripture as these superheroes that we can't attain to but to really take passages like Ephesians 5 I'm sorry James 5 I'm sorry James 4 (laughs) I'm sorry, let me just look it up. Um, It's in uh, James 5, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed fervently. The whole point of that is that I would go, Elijah has nothing on me. I need to stop reading this book and looking at Elijah like I can't attain to that. Jesus says, you'll do what I do and greater things than these. We have to believe this. But that happens through prayer. I would beg you, please, as a gathering, as a church, as a small group, however you're doing this right now, get on your faces in faith and pray for each other that we would believe these biblical truths about power because we're losing it. We're absolutely losing it in the church today. We need this infusion of power back into our gatherings. Don't assume that this little Bible study, small group, whatever you're doing, like I don't even like calling it that. It's like this: this, it's think Avengers. Think the body of Christ. Think manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But we're lacking faith. So let's get on our faces and beg God to give faith to everyone in the room right now.
0: Thing that, um, uh, that I'm going to say, I'm going to say some things, and it's going to sound like um, I'm a complete cessationist. Now, that word cessationist—that means somebody who thinks miracles stopped in the first century. Okay, a continuationist is usually a term used for people that think nothing has changed; everything is the same today. I'm neither one of those things. Um, I'm, I'm just not. Um, what I mean by that is I—I'm a God can do what He wants in this. I—I I, I don't know. I mean, he, he can do whatever He wants. I do believe this, that for us to make the gospel about miracles is to miss it. The miracles were there to show a point about what God was doing. Miracles were in the Old Testament. They were in the New Testament. Um, These gifts, it says, they were given to those upon whom the apostles laid their hands. And the apostles did pass on. It makes sense that the gifts would pass on. But I'm not somebody that's going to sit here and say, therefore, they don't happen today. But... I did go to a church service. I was invited with a friend, and we went to a healing service um, about two years ago. And uh, I did. I went to a healing service. I didn't get healed. But I was called out in front of this massive group of people. I was asked to stand up, and a man came to me, and he slapped my back really hard. And then I turned around and decked him. <laughs> no, but he did. He just hit me really hard, and he said, God is he's going to make you rich. God is going to make you rich. And this is the right week to be talking about this, by the way. I'm going to go get a ticket this week. But no, not really. But am I too late? Did it get one? Yeah, we got one. It wasn't okay. No. <laughs> but he did that. I mean, it was all this stuff. And, and it was just, there was different people were being healed by really gross things like athlete's foot and things like that around the room. It was a really weird scenario. Um. But what really bothered me wasn't whether this is fake or not fake and how manufactured everything felt. What bothered me is that this is what the gospel had become. It was about these things. And some of that the the disciples made it about that even in the, the book of Acts. But you see Jesus' promise was, listen, this has happened. God shows, man, I've given this sign to show something way deeper and way more powerful. That's why Galatians 5 doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is and getting into miracles and things like that. The fruit of the Spirit is something altogether different. And it's the Spirit inside of me, and that's everything. But here's what I wanted to show you just to begin this message. And man, I'm already halfway through, but this is the Gospel of Acts. What we're talking about right now is not a topic, this is the theme of Acts, it's everything. The presence of God in his temple, in his tent, among his, amongst Israel, was the message of the Old Testament. And that was everything. And in the New Testament, it's very much the same. I am here, God in the flesh with you, and I'm going to give my spirit to you, and I'm going to pour out to you. And Jesus even said, he breathed on them at one point and said, receive my spirit. But this is the outline of the book of Acts, this famous verse, verse chapter 1. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This ends up being the outline of the book of Acts, and that's what happens. The Spirit is poured out on the Jew in Acts 2. He's poured out on the Samaritan in Acts 8, then on the Gentile in Acts 10. And each time, Joel is quoted, and these Old Testament verses are quoted. This is what's happening. God has made his presence amongst his people, and he is here, and he is in us, and that is everything. So this is the gospel in the book of Acts, and it's, this is, um, um, uh, let's see, there's so many verses I want to read from Paul as well, and I have, have quite a list here. That, that emphasizes this is the gospel, Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the message of the gospel. Now, the reason I say that, um, and I'll get to in a second. But yesterday I was cooking, and that's why I have a green thumb. Um, I cut myself deeply yesterday, and I, I want to have a slide for you, but my mom's here, so I'm not going to share that. But it's gross, man. It's a bad cut, and I was making chicken stock, and I got my chickens, I got my parsnips, my carrots, my celery, my, all this stuff, my dill. My, I had all this stuff thrown into chicken stock. I'm going to make a nice, big, homemade chicken stock. And I mean, I'm trying to cut a parsnip. And, and you know how you're supposed to brace it from the bottom to make sure it doesn't turn? No, you're not supposed to ever do that, right? But that's what I was doing. And it's bad. And so all of a sudden, I, I cut myself... And my initial thought is, wow, I have to finish making this meal with one hand. And I have to doctor myself at the same time while I'm making this meal. And I have to keep everything clean. And then, you know how you try to open a Band-Aid with one hand, and then you get a paper cut on your lip? And I'm just standing here just falling apart in my kitchen, right? And... um, and then I looked, and I'm like, um, this is bad. This is a really, really bad one. And then I started thinking, I think I need to go to the ER. E- e- this, is, this is bad. Um, so I called Melinda, and I said, I've never gone to an ER before, and I don't want to get charged $4,000 to go to an ER. So what am I supposed to do? She says, call Sarah Watson. So I call Sarah. <laughs> she says, text me pictures. We're going back. I'm texting pictures of nastiness with Sarah, cooking my meal, trying to clean things up, and doing all this at the same time. And then I start realizing, man, this is, my my, cooking is important to me, and staying clean and keeping nastiness out of your food is always an important thing, right? What am I supposed to be doing right now? Drop the meal. Drop the meal. This This is what you need to focus on. And I came across this verse by coincidence, this really was a coincidence, I didn't even look for it, but this is a verse I found, and it totally relates to this study. It's twice in Jeremiah, word for word, it says the same thing. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it's not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And I was thinking about that. And here I'm I've got to focus on my meal. And I'm just going to wrap this up real quick. And I'm thinking, I can't get into the details. Some of you ladies are super mad, but it's, it's bad. And, and I'm thinking... I shouldn't have this anywhere near my food right now. I need to go take care of things, right? And I thought about how relevant that is to this study. How often um, I'm in talks with people, and I've had three this week. I counted three this week where someone would come to me and it's like, this is everything going on in my life. My father, this is everything falling apart. Man, where's your walk with God right now? Where are things with God right now? Not good at all. But, and then they just move on, and I'm like, what did you just... I mean, why are we talking about other stuff? Why are we talking about different issues in the church? Why are we talking about different issues in my life? If the Spirit of God is not present here right now, drop what you're doing. This is what Shannon is saying. Drop what you're doing. Nothing else matters. Don't talk about all the other issues. If God is not present in my life right now, two years ago, a young man... Um, his name's Jamie. I'll share his name with you. Uh, Jamie is is deeply Jewish, um, Jewish by heritage, Jewish everything, and he's just in love with Jewish. He can play Jewish songs on his guitar. He's amazing, and he wanted to talk to me, and we got into some beautiful Bible studies together, and um, at one point, he was so interested, and at one point, um, he lives in Boulder right now, and uh, so I came down, and, and we just kind of, we pray together. We study. We try to open scripture, usually, and and he just said this to me. He goes, life is not good. My life is falling apart. Everything is going off. And he goes, can you just make me one promise if you're going to come here and visit with me? Stop talking about Jesus. That's not what I need right now. And we can talk about that later, but right now I have other issues. Can you make a promise to me that we're not going to talk about Jesus? And we sat there, and I'm trying not to cry through this whole meal because I'm sitting here thinking, wow, um, I don't have any advice for anybody now because I'm not a counselor. I'm not not good at that. If if I don't have God, if I don't have Jesus, I don't know what to tell you. Life's bad, man. I'm sorry. Girls aren't dating you, man. I'm sorry. Things are rough, man. I, I don't know what to tell somebody. And so I was just sitting there and I finally just told him, I said, man, I don't, I'm worthless to you because God is my life and he's yours too. And then we lost contact for two years, and he contacted me this week and wants to meet me at the park this Saturday. He's going he's gonna to be there. And I'm so excited about that. But I was thinking about that, and like, what's happening in my life, what hap- what's happening in our lives, and where Chan is going with this, is when everything is falling, when no matter what's going on, if this isn't right, if God's spirit isn't in me, it's not alive, and I'm not in his spirit, and I know this is real then I need to drop whatever I'm doing. And part of the reason why, and this may be really stretching the analogy, forgive me, but everything I touched with my hands at that point became unclean. Okay? Everything I touched is nasty, it's dirty, it's unclean. Why? Because my kitchen work is not being driven by cleanliness. My ministry is not being driven by the Spirit anymore. It's being driven by professionalism. It's being driven by whatever else, but it's no longer clean. The spirit isn't here, and I need to address the wound first before I go on and do anything else. I've mentioned that when it comes to marriages and anything else. When someone comes and they say, this is falling apart. How is your walk with God? It's just not there right now. Then stop talking about anything else. Don't get in the car when you're drunk. Don't make decisions in your life, major decisions especially, without the Spirit of God present, right there guiding you. Uh, Now, I want to ask, you know, I'm going to kind of open this up to some discussion before before I, I get into some of the key verses I really wanted to hone in on. But I wanted to ask you this, and this is a critical question that comes kind of right out of 1 John. We talk about this a lot, but I need to go here. How do you know with certainty that you are in the Spirit, that the Spirit is in you, that that is a truth in your life. Um, I don't know. I, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah? I want to say something similar to what my sure. said last, last Sunday or the Sunday before, mm-hmm. that they had gone to a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Right. Child, right. Right. So feeling God is with you when you're in different places, just, just, just feeling, man, I, I feel the security. I feel like I'm trusting him right now. I think part of what I'm hearing you say and what I know I heard Marvin say uh, in your communion comments is that you've put yourself in a place where you must trust the Spirit. And you otherwise might feel insecure or not safe. And now all of a sudden you're feeling a more powerful connection because you're trusting him. You're doing something that requires leaning on him. Right? So I like that. Yeah. Nicole? Okay. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the most biblical answers you could give. I'm about to read a, a short list of what the New Testament says the Spirit is doing in us. And I think the most repeated one is what Nicole said. She said, all of a sudden, my, basically she said, my nature changed. Something in me that changed my nature to where sin, which was a part of my nature, no longer has a grip on my life, right? You're watching some of that stuff go. Here's a, just a brief list. I'm just going to go through these real quick. Focus on what they say. This is what the New Testament says. Uh, This list started at 50, and I kind of narrowed it down to 21 um, that I thought really captured it. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The, The Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit renews us, restores us. He leads us. He sanctifies us. He empowers us. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit produces in us the fruit of righteousness. The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to the body. The Spirit washes and renews. The Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. The Spirit reveals the deep things of God. He reveals what has been given to us from God. The Spirit dwells in us. He speaks to, in, and through us. The Spirit transforms us into the very image of Christ. He strengthens our spirits. He enables us to obey truth. He bears witness to the truth in our conscience. The Spirit moves us and He comforts us. Those were some of my favorite. What it said, this is what the Spirit is doing alive in you. This is everything. And I think that this is really what, where I get nervous about where my focus gets sometimes. Even where Chan's focus gets sometimes in a lot of books I read it becomes more about what the church is doing, which is super important. But what I have so much control of in my life is it's a very individual thing between me and God, is what is happening with Jeff right now? What is happening in my life? Am I walking in the Spirit? And this is the verse that, that, that really... Um, um, Chan was focusing on in this chapter of his book, he says, I'm begging, I'm praying that you would come to know his incomparably great power for us who believe, that you would know how much power is at work in you and in your life. And so that's, in all these thoughts, this is the verse that I just thought, man, this is what I really want to kind of camp on, what I want to close with in this class is in light of all of that, I realized it says don't quench, don't put out the Spirit's fire in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And I've thought about that verse a whole lot. And I thought, wow, isn't that crazy that he used this analogy of a fire? Because this is exactly how God introduced himself. This consuming fire. And the idea of a consuming fire is... You can't dwell, and this is exactly what God said to Israel. You cannot dwell in my presence. I am holy. I'm a holy God, and I will consume you. He actually uses that language. If I get on the road with you, I will consume you on the way. Why? Because I'm a consuming fire. That's what I do. But you introduced yourself as a bush was able to dwell in your presence without being consumed. And that's exactly what the analogy was between God and his relationship with Israel. This is what I want to do with you. I want you to dwell in my presence. But the idea is this. If that fire is burning in you, and I don't think I'm stretching this analogy. I think this is what's intended. If that fire is in me, it consumes everything that does not belong to him. Everything that is not from God, this fire is in me to consume, to take over it. Every thought was 2 Corinthians 10, 4, I think. Every thought, every action, everything that's in me that does not belong to him, that fire is intended to consume it and say, this belongs to me, all of me. And the idea of the Spirit's fire and not quenching the Spirit's fire, it's not simply, I've always thought of this verse in terms of zeal and passion, you know, and I think that's there. But it's also this idea that the spirit is in me to move me to change me to continually transform me and what what's crazy is it says I could put that out and 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 uh, look, hear what I'm saying why would it say that I could put out they're talking about the fire that descended on Mount horeb you're talking about the fire that cons- you're talking about the fire of the holy spirit how on earth could it speak to me and say don't quench that. How on earth could I? Um, but apparently I can. And and so I thought, well, I, I just kind of wanted to ask you about that. Um, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so... Right. As I interacted with people and
4: shared what I knew, I felt it more and more and more. Now, if you stop doing that,
0: you'll quench the spirit. Right. He'll leave you. Right. Um, now, okay, I want, I want to... Completely. Well, I don't know, Vanna. I'm actually going to repeat what you just said, because what you just said is, you use very strong language. I actually agree with what you just said. I don't want you to take it back. Okay. Um, <laughs> She said this, man, you start walking away more and more from the Spirit. Eventually, He'll leave you. Eventually, the Spirit will leave you. And I think not that that's... Say that you can't come back. Right. That's also a, uh, teaching in the New Testament Okay. Coming back. Right. But that's up to you.
4: You're yeah. You're going to have to make the step forward. I mean, God's there. He's the one that left you. Yeah. He left him. Now, I want to say something also about Elijah. Okay. So Elijah's up there and he's calling for the fire down from mm-hmm. God he, he's, he's challenging all these 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and he has been challenged uh, by uh, I mean he's been threatened by Ahab and so on and so on and he got all of this done and then he even runs 17 miles mm-hmm. in front of Ahab's chariot to Jezreel and then Jezebel says to him, that she, and she threatened him, that she was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think he would have done? After all of that, what did he do? He ran away and went to Beersheba, 110 miles or so, and went to the mountain uh, uh, when God told him to go, of and said, I'm done. Just kill me. I mean, I, I can't. Halfway to the
0: anymore. mountain. Yeah, we're under a tree right now. Yeah. yeah
4: Yeah. But God was patient with him, mm-hmm. and he fed him, and he nurs- nurtured him, and he was, and he brought him back. And I, I think that's what God does with us. We can be weak like that, too. We mean, Elijah had a weak spot, yeah. and we'll have a weak spot in time. Yeah. And he'll be
0: patient with us, but we have to come back. I think, to me, that's one of the more effective stories in the Bible, and has uh, really impacted my life a lot, Elijah. And the reason why is because what he says when he's going out, okay, this is the Spirit's fire going out, right? It, he, he feels like, um, he actually says this, I'm no better than my forefathers. That's the, that's the word he uses. And basically he says this, I gave my life for this. I prayed, I got on my knees, I fasted, you fed me with the ravens, all of this, and nothing has changed Nothing has changed. I'm no better than my forefathers. I'm going to die. Because for just a moment, Elijah thought it was about him. And when he finally gets to Horeb, God says, in the end, he says this, I want you to go find Elisha. I want you to go to anoint him. And I'm doing something so much bigger than you, Elijah. You have played a small part, but I'm doing something bigger than you. You're a part of my kingdom. And I love that idea that, wow, it's not about me making a name for myself. It's about me serving a greater plot that's going on. David?
2: Um, I think one of the ways we can quench the Spirit is to avoid the conversation about power. Right.
0: He did, but it was, yeah, it was brief. It was what? It was brief, but yeah. Okay. So the question is, do we think... kind of I disagree with part of it and that's what Chan said. Well, you yeah. disagree with part of his painting power. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I I heard him say this. I heard him say and that's kind of where I disagreed with him. He said, "We don't see the miracles today." But maybe that's because we don't see the faith that it's talking about today. And he did say that. And so his to me what I heard him say was, "Yes, we're talking about the miraculous." Yeah. Right.
2: So, so, anyway, regardless of what he meant, right. the Bible and Hebrews eleven, and many other person, verses right. talk about power, right, the ability to do things beyond anything we can see or imagine. We can stop for a miracle if you want, right. But you know, Hebrews eleven. I was saying there were, you know, so just for the record, I do think there are miracles today, right. I, I have been, you know, when people are transformed from old to new, right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So our, I guess, I don't
2: want us to quench the spirit because we want to not act like we're going to be empowered by it. It's just right. this sort of mild thing. Right. That it's, that's just what I wonder. Is that I, I, I agree with you, that, and Hebrews 11 does. Right. That by faith, people can do things outside of their own power.
0: Yes, Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's exactly where we want to go with the class. And it goes to Nicole's point, and a lot of the verses that I read that talks about the interchange. I heard Chan say, and I'm, I'm not, because Chan's obviously a hero in my life. I did absolutely hear him say the miraculous, these kinds of things, because not the spirit. And I'm actually trying to transform that into where you guys are coming from and saying, really, it's more of this. I, I'm with you. I believe in the miraculous today. But the emphasis is on this, this interchange. But here's the beauty, and I want to come over here to write. Here's the beauty of it to me. I don't think it's a Ouija board. I don't think we have to figure this out for this power to work. I think it's more like I'm in the Spirit, I'm walking in the Spirit, therefore, the Spirit's power is at work. I don't have to figure it out at this point. Um, What I'm saying is this the Acts, and I've used this analogy a lot, the apostles in the book of Acts, they just went west. They had no clue what they were doing. They hadn't figured out, the, but they were in the Spirit's power, and he opened up the doors. And so that's something I believe, like First John says, really, it's if I'm in the Spirit, if I know I'm walking in the Spirit, that Spirit's power is at work in my life. It's doing its thing regardless of if I figure it out or don't figure it out. Um, and that's that's part of how I, I, I see it at the same time. And so that's why I've struggled, that's why I wanted to talk about this, because it this is a, a similar verse, and I want to go to right. We'll close out. But um, Paul says, "Timothy, I want you to fan into flame this this fire." And so, whatever is in mind here is kind of what David is, is talking about. Whatever's in mind here is how can I? How what is this going to look like when the Spirit's fire is now fanned into flame in my life? What does that power look like? Um, and the reason that's not huge, it is the focus of the class, and it's not the focus of the class, mostly because I don't know. I don't really know. I know that the Bible talks about what it is to walk in the Spirit and therefore power. And I know that the Bible emphasizes what Nicole emphasized. That power is interchange and being conformed to the very image of Christ. I think it goes beyond that. But I think that that's the big thing I see. Yeah, right.
1: 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a lot lately, when he says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself saved yet so is the fire. Yes. I've been, you know, kind of pondering. Yeah. Um, and in regards to you know the power of the miracles, you know I believe that every time we we witness someone clothed in Christ, you're literally seeing someone who is dead yeah. come to life. You're you're witnessing resurrection. Right. And that you know because it's such a commonplace, it kind of becomes mundane, I think. Right.
0: I think, I think that that's, the, that's a great note to – to, well, actually, I'll let John close this out. But the, the comment in general is, man, that spirit is – and I think it's so important we think it like this – that spirit is alive and well today. I get nervous when talk comes about cessation and everything. Things were that way then, but not so much now. I, I like to remind people that, you know, the entire gospel of the New Testament is God's presence with us. That is the gospel and for us to lose sight of the depth of what that means and that power that's at work in us. Um, And again, we need to talk specifically what that is. That is the gospel, so it's huge. Yeah, John.
2: Right. All this kind of garbage, and God's constantly placing things in our in our way yeah. that, that He says, "Here's an opportunity. Let me work in in, in you or through you to do this." Yeah. And when we when we when we risk taking that opportunity and right. serving uh, in ways that we don't think we can do, that sudden we see the herbs there. Yes. And I've seen. It.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's it, a miracle. Just means God's intervention, you know, in our lives, and I, that's why I think the talk about cessation and all that stuff, it's foolishness. I think it's foolishness. If you don't see miracles, don't let anyone tell you that that means the Spirit of God isn't there. Um, that's that's foolishness. Um, but be ready to him, be open to him, be ready to see him, because of course God's at work, and of course God's Spirit is is alive and active in us. But I'm I'm like Nicole. Um, I do believe that the major thing I've seen in my life and. I could give you events where I know God, even this recently, where I could see God's hand in a miraculous way at work. Absolutely. But mostly, I've seen God change my identity from the inside out and, and the presence that you feel with him. So I just want to, to leave you with this, and we, I've got to close, but the way you feed a, fl- a flame is, is to provide you know, fuel for that flame. The way you quench a flame is to deprive it of that fuel. And I think just time in the spirit where you present your heart before God and say, God, I'm yours. I want to walk in your spirit. This is the big one. I just want to keep fanning the flame because I don't know what it's going to look like. Just like I don't know what the miracles you might witness in God or how that works, I don't have an answer. He can do whatever he wants to do. I don't know what the power that's at work in my life is going to eventually accomplish. I don't. But I know if I'm walking in him, and my mind and my heart is open to it i 'm going to find out you know uh, let's let 's pray, uh, God, I just want to come before you and I ask that you'd give us deeper wisdom we 'll continue this discussion God, and I pray that you'll uh, you 'll open the the our minds and our hearts and, and and God more than that, just give us boldness to discover what this is really talking about um, what your your word is really trying to guide us into um God, I pray that you'd surprise us by your power, that this isn't something we have to study through to figure out, to experience, but God, that walking in you, that you take us there, you'd deliver it to us, you'd, you'd reveal it to us. Um, but our hearts are yours, Father. And um, and um, I, I ask God that our, our, our minds, our hands, our feet, our eyes, everything we are, just belongs to you entirely. I pray that you would consume Everything that does not belong to you and that heart, soul, mind, and strength, we would learn what it is to be a disciple and that we won't quit on that journey. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.